right. Uh, we uh, we do not yet have Mark back. Thanks for coming back in, Tim. Well, in the manner of speaking. I mean, he's in the city. <laughs> he's in the city. So uh, we'll keep everybody. As as uh, Mark's life turns, the uh, the soap opera of Mark's life, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the woman that he went to France to see is now in Los Angeles. So, yeah. Mark, uh, they they they're doing that thing. They're trying to make this this global thing work. You it's... know, as many mo- uh, movies that Mark has seen about this very subject, <laughs> you you think he already I would have seen this movie. Yeah. But hey, what the hell? Yeah. Watch it Go for the it. End. So anyway, we uh, we will uh, we will have Tim once again for a couple of weeks, and uh, then we'll have Mark's uh, summation of his adventures. Uh, in the meantime. We're going to have a great show today. We've got uh, an interview with a longtime friend of the podcast and longtime personal friend of, uh, of all of ours, Mark M- Sanderson. Another Mark. Another Mark. We should get to know people with other names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark Sanderson, who has been on the, uh, the show as a guest before, uh, has written a dozen or so movies, including some, some great classic Christmas movies for Lifetime. Mark has, a, uh, has just put a book out, a screenwriting book, which I think is terrific. And uh, we're going to have an interview with Mark later in the show. And uh, meanwhile, we're, we're going to burn through some of these uh, really fabulous... It's, it's actually a really good week and some interesting stuff. Uh, I'm going to give Tim a, a moment to breathe, and I'm going to talk about some classical stuff so that it's uh, not on deck for when Mark comes back, because he always hates it when we do it. <laughs> so uh, the people at Naxos are really, really good to us, and they always... Uh, you know, they, Naxos is, of course, for those who need a little primer on it, Naxos uh, is a kind of a a distribution clearing center for a lot of different really, really great classical music labels. Uh, it's the best place to go for opera, ballet, classical concert, everything else. Great documentaries about uh, classical figures. So there's always really interesting stuff there. If you are snooty like I am and you, you love all this stuff, uh, Le Mozart Noir is a DVD and CD combination. Uh, this is the life and music of Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Uh, this is a this is really really quite a, an interesting uh, this this film won an, uh, a number of awards as I understand it, and it is uh, it's essentially looking at this figure Joseph Boulogne who was a black musician in the 18th century, and um, has kind of fallen alongside uh, you know a lot of the classical music history that we know, but really really an amazing figure. So the Mozart Noir means the Black Mozart, and really just an extraordinary figure, uh, an amazing life. Frankly, one that should be made into a into a, a big narrative feature film. But anyway, this uh, this is really just a, a fantastic look at this amazing figure. Uh, includes uh, some uh, on the CD some of his very best work, and it's really amazing. So um, Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier de Saint Georges, really an amazing story. Definitely check it out. The Mozart Noir. The only issue is I wish there were a Blu-ray of it because it's a good, it's a really good combo. We also have uh, Francesca da Ramini, which is, uh, was, is, a, is a, uh, a, a ballet, um, kind of a, dra- a dramatical ballet that is performed in uh, two acts, and that is from the uh, Festival Valet di Tria. Don't know what it is? Don't understand it, but it's actually interesting. It's a little more modern than my taste normally would prefer, but it's uh, it's good. That's the world premiere recording. Uh, we have a couple of uh, Blu-ray audios too. We don't get these very often, but Jan Gunnar Hoff uh, stories is the name of the uh, of the. Uh, this is a Blu-ray audio and hybrid SACD Super Audio CD, which we don't get a lot of. And then there's uh, Jens Harald Bratley 
the uh, album is Vers la Lumière. This is all really good modern classical stuff. Again, maybe a little bit too modern for some of my uh, tastes. A little bit veers into the electronic as well. But um, for people who like that kind of thing, very interesting. On DVD only from the C major line is uh, Opern Gala. This is a, uh, a big kind of opera highlight potpourri performance. Uh, it, you know, a little bit of Beethoven, a little bit of Mozart, a, lo a lot of some other guys like Rossini and Offenbach, and it's just a, it's a nice little overall opera primer if you if somebody wants something that's just not an opera per se, but just a concert with some kind of opera highlights. It's Opern Gala. Uh, Wagner das uh, Liebensverbot. I'm half German, and I'm I'm sure I'm I'm Wagner. Being, I'm being disowned by all of my forebears for for pronouncing that so badly. Uh, this is from the Teatro Real in Spain. Uh, this is the world premiere on DVD and Blu-ray. What I have in my hands is Blu-ray, uh, released by Opus Arte. Uh, the uh, the the this is not a Wagner that I'm particularly familiar with. I don't know it. I don't either. I, I know the you know I know the the ring and the, ring, uh, yeah, the cycle. But yeah, the, the cycle. I know, and and I've seen right. Tristan and Isolde. You know, Tristan and Isolde. Yes. Years ago, there was a there was a, a, a big Tristan and Isolde performance. Gosh, this must have been like fifteen years ago or something. And uh, my wife took me to see it. That was my birthday present, and we spent six hours <laughs> at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. You know, six hours at the Dorothy Chandler seeing that perform probably still better than the James Franco. <laughs> Kevin Reynolds film. <laughs> Sorry, I had to take it there. Yeah, it's all right. It's, it's yeah. true. Anyway, this is a Das Liebensverbot. Uh, it, this is not one that I'm terribly familiar with. It's based on Measure for Measure, the Shakespearean play, uh, which I'm also not that familiar with, to be honest. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. It's an interesting performance. It's a, it's a, the costuming and the design is a little bit aggressive and strange, but anyway. Uh, the Royal Opera House did a fantastic uh, production of uh, Frankenstein. And this is amazing. This is the uh, world premiere on Blu-ray. Uh, this is a Royal Ballet performance. And I didn't even know this existed. This is really, really cool. I wish they could do a Frankenstein movie that is as cool as this ballet. Oh, interesting. I really do. I mean, the the the, the, the art direction, the uh, conceptualization of the monster, it's fantastic. It's maybe, really good. In, 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 I don't know, in the mode of maybe... Uh... Julie Tremor, maybe, or something different. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. That, yeah. It, it, it has, yeah, it has kind of that vibe. Yeah, I mean, she did that amazing it's, thing. With, it's very aggressively stylized yeah. and Titus really, and Veronica's, you know, really, yeah. yes, very yeah, much yeah. so, like Titus. Yeah, yeah, it's got that kind of vibe. Uh, Lincoln Center Movies Ballet Hispanico. We've uh, we've covered uh, a, a couple of these before, and uh, this is always really, really good stuff. That's also on Blu-ray. Uh, Carmen Macchia and Club Havana. Franz Schubert's Winterreise. Uh, this is a. Um, this includes a. This is a lot of really interesting stuff on this. This is a uh, Blu-ray, and uh, this is. Uh, this has a whole bunch of additional kind of supporting extra material on it, documentary material. Uh, this was recorded at the uh, Festival of Aix-en-Provence in France in 2014. The bonus documentary, which is called A Trio for Schubert, that's the one that I think is really almost makes this. I, I can't say I'm a huge fan of, of Vinterreise, uh, but the documentary is really, really great. The documentary is fascinating, gives you a lot of interesting background on, uh, on Schubert, and it's pretty great. Uh, and then we have a whole series here. Uh, that Actually, I'll do the series last. Uh, and then we also have Schoenberg, uh, uh. Gura Leader. 
German words are going to kill me. This is why I never learned. This is why I learned French. <laughs> my mother tried to teach me German. It just my brain didn't didn't mm. absorb it. Neither did my mouth. Uh, anyway, Gura Leader. Uh, this is also a world premiere staging of what is considered uh, Schoenberg's masterpiece by many people. I'm, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know Schoenberg well enough, but it was certainly very entertaining and great music. Talk about this the is, modernist era. Yeah, that, that's that's Schoenberg. Yeah, this you is went to UCLA for God's sakes. I know the Schoenberg. Schoenberg, Schoenberg Hall. Yeah, I, know, I know. I know. It should be in my blood. You know, I took I played one, the Steinway in that hall once. It was I, exquisite. You probably play the same Steinway that my uh, uh, professor Winter, who taught the Beethoven <laughs> class. I to move he was, his yeah, he would he would get up in the in that hall. I, that was the only <laughs> class I took in Schoenberg Hall. He'd get up there, amazing, and he'd just say, "Now this next part, he would play any piece of any Beethoven, just a drop of a hat, and he'd walk over to the piano and just bang it out." And I remember, I love Beethoven. I thought I'm going to ace this Beethoven class, and then you you get a final which this is your final uh he will go up at the piano and he'll bang out some like four bars of something yeah. and he will say now you have 15 minutes to write down what piece of music that is from what part of the music it's from what it means and what it represented in beethoven's life and i i kid you not i sat there and i i, I took it with a friend of mine that i used to work at the theater with she's a musician she yeah. had a band yeah. right she like she thinks music. She and I look at each other and we're like, all, oh, I don't know. Well, okay. And we both got a C in the class. So I feel pretty good that I got a C with somebody who's a professional musician. But at the same time, that was a damn hard class. Yeah, that was really hard. Gosh, that was a crazy class. Anyway, that's my Schoenberg Hall uh, story. But anyway, um, so Schoenberg, yeah, somebody I should know more about, but I don't. This is performed by the uh, Netherlands Philharmonic Orchestra and the chorus of the Dutch National Opera. For a little country, they have some amazing musicians and a fantastic, uh, fantastically tight bunch of talent. Um, but this is, you know, this is a kind of a late romantic thing, and it's uh, it's an interesting production. It's uh, you know feels very cinematic, but it's uh, it is like Tim said, it's very very modernist. And then lastly, we've got a collection of four from this ongoing elegance, the art of series. And uh, these are all DVDs. This is all from art house music. The uh, from you know basically dance productions, mostly ballet, but a lot of really great stuff here. Uh, this is the Dance Theater of Harlem doing a uh, Fall River Legend, Troy Game, The Beloved John Henry, uh, all bits and pieces of all of these. Really, really great. I'm not familiar with uh, John Henry as a ballet, but uh, I I want to be more familiar with it. What a great idea for ballet, yeah. John Henry. Right? Yeah, so it's like a, a medley of, of, of yeah. Of, it's uh, like it's like a medley from different of, from different performances, or they did different them? dance groups and, oh, okay. and medleys of different performances. I got you. I got you. So uh, and this is the uh, the Nutcracker and the Mouse King. Uh, performed by the Dutch National Ballet. Very, very interesting. Uh, kind of a new take on the on the Nutcracker, to be honest. I'm I'm a little bit lukewarm on it. And then uh, Maya Plisetskaya. Ooh, a tribute in five ballets. Uh, this is a tribute to to Maya Plisetskaya. Again, somebody I'm not hugely familiar with, but uh, a, le a international legend apparently. Uh, there's a Carmen Suite, Romantic Encounter, Grand Adage a la Rose, La Rose Malade, and Ava, Maria, uh, Ava Maya. And then lastly, uh, a terrific uh, kind of interpretation of Swan Lake called A Swan Lake. Uh, and this is uh, by Alexander Ekman. 
And uh, this is done by the Norwegian National Ballet and the Norwegian National Opera Orchestra. Again, a small country with some amazing talent. So that's, uh, that's all very beautiful. And those are all on DVD. So thanks again to the people at Naxos for sending us some really, really great uh, DVDs and Blu-rays. All of that was just fantastic. Yeah. You know, I want all of those. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. good. For, it's, look, it, it's not stuff you want to necessarily, at least if you are if you are in my shoes. It's not something you sit down and you watch just t- beginning to end, but it's nice to have kind of running in the background. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, when yeah, I'm doing other work, throw that on, dude, let it, let it kind of you know fill the house. You know how I am over yeah. there. I, need, I have 15 screens. Ambience. You know, it's an yeah. ambient sort of thing, yeah. even if the sound is down. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's dive into some some new stuff. The first one's hidden figures there. Yeah, we, we got a 4K of hidden figures. Uh, all kinds of uh, all kinds of wonderful things to say about that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of them having to do with the movie itself. It's yep. a very good movie. Yep. It's insanely entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film, and then it's the work that that film has done in the yeah. culture over the course of the last, I don't yes. know, year and a half or so. Yeah. So, very, very good movie. Some really, really neat performances. Uh, Octavia Spencer, rightly uh, nominated, for, I think, for what a supporting uh, yeah. or something, whatever. Yep. It is. Uh, and uh, I, 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 the score, one of the songs nominated, all good, very yes. good, excellent. More important, yes, is that this film revealed this history of these hidden figures, right? Yes. And I've only recently come to not hate that stupid title. Because <laughs> I really don't like it. It's like yeah. that movie that's in theaters now, Their Finest, about yes. the British you know, yeah. terrible title. And I really felt that was a terrible title. But, you know, I've come to, I've come to get my, my heart wrapped around it. Yeah. Uh, that DVD is full of all kinds, the, the Blu-ray is full of all kinds of stuff. It, it, we, we got some interesting, for a lot of 4K stuff today, and uh, we're going to, the new movie section, we're going to wrap out with another 4K, which I'm going to keep under wraps because uh, it, it's a big deal, and it's going to dovetail into something else in a very interesting way. So we, I, I, there's a method to our madness today. But uh, in terms of 4K, I think um, this, is, this is the kind of movie that needs to be on 4K. Mm. It's really richly, beautifully shot in that classic Hollywood style. It's very lush, very colorful, captures the period beautifully. You know, re, it's classic three-point lighting, right? It's all it's all that stuff, and uh, that really gives it a texture that 4K benefits from. The HDR, the 4K, all of that stuff really uh, it, it it really gives it that cinematic look. You really really feel the richness. Beautifully done. Uh, good extras on here, uh, mostly featurette stuff, but there's some deleted scenes, which I thought was interesting, and then, uh, a good audio commentary with uh, the director uh, Theodore Melfi and Taraji P Henson who kind of became the voice of the movie at a certain point. Did you notice that? Yeah. Taraji sort of became the movie's spokesperson during awards season. Yeah, I- interesting that, you know, given that she was not, uh, you know, one of the one, one of the nominees yeah. uh, during that period. So she, I think maybe the Golden Globes or something, she might have been nominated over there. I can't, yeah. I really can't remember. But there she was out there. Yeah. Uh, sort of a... Uh, get the SAG, the SAG <laughs> Awards, she gave the acceptance speech when it won uh, Best Ensemble. It is important that that film, along with Moonlight, uh, which yeah. uh, we talked about a while ago, but it, it did as well as it did. It it moved a big chunk of the culture, yeah, uh, forward the, the Hollywood culture, anyway. yeah, the culture writ large, actually forward, both about black folks in mainstream cinema, yeah. about women in mainstream cinema, yeah. about women in history. Uh, it's just so, dude. This, that so much that movie was doing. Better, more than just being a, a good movie. And and you know, I was on Film Week. Uh, the, we we talked about this. And and uh, you know, I'll tell you what I said on Film. What I said on Film Week was I watched this movie and I feel like this is clearly a movie that's written and directed by white people. This is like a black story is told by white people, and it felt like that to me. At the same time, 
who am I to judge? Because everybody loved this movie. What you said was true. It wasn't on that. Yeah. Was, yeah, I'm always listening. Yeah. What you said was absolutely true. You could say the same thing about that James Brown movie. Totally. Which was a popular movie, totally. but it didn't resonate in the same way that this one does. Or go back to... Uh, Oh, the other one, Octavia Spencer was in the, the Maid movie. Oh, the, the Help, the, the Help. The Help, you know, that, that kind of Which I know you and I are both lukewarm on. About these things. But th- this movie, because of the subject matter of the movie, right? These, yeah. these people, zero condescension in this movie. True. And I got to tell you, my boy Kevin Costner. Yeah. He's great. He's Isn't fantastic. He great? He's fantastic. And over the arc of his career, I'm going to do this piece. I'm, I'm going to call it Kevin Costner. Movie star for the proletariat. <laughs> for his entire career, Kevin has been playing these everyday guys. These yeah. blue co- Kevin's from Compton. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Kevin Costner is a homie. Yeah. And what it is is that showed up in his movies over even his Robin Hood, which is retarded, but it, but <laughs> right, he plays Robin Hood as yeah. like a homie. Yeah. You, you, I'm I'm just down with the people. You know the the uh, and where I started to come down on hidden figures and realize that I'm kind of out of the loop with our friend Tina, who you know Tina's a, a, a really kind of a seminal figure. She yeah. was one of the first black women on on uh, uh, soap, op- soap operas, yep. daytime television. Uh, Tina Andrews went on to become a very successful screenwriter. The Sally Hemings miniseries, mm-hmm. Jackie uh, Onassis miniseries. Why do fools? Why do uh, why do fools fall in love? Yeah. Uh, you know, so she Tina's uh, and Tina has a miniseries coming out now for, through Amazon. So Tina is a significant figure, and Tina went nuts for Hidden Figures. And I thought, okay, so if I, as a white man, look at this and say, <laughs> okay, this is this feels like it was done by a white guy, that's a legitimate feeling. But at the same time, if Tina, as a as a as a woman who's a pioneering black woman in her right, sees this film and connects to it, not my place to say that you know Here's this film I, is first missing of all, something. What you said is correct. So I have to acknowledge that what you said is actually right. This film yeah. is unequivocally. You sit down and watch this film. All black people who sat down to watch this film, you, everybody, this film made by a white dude. Yeah, it's insanely obvious. It's just that that's not a problem. Yeah, you, you, you never cared about that. Never made any difference whatsoever. What except the spike maybe once that one time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one time, but he was wrong. Um, that's not so much the issue. Content is the issue. Yeah. Treatment of content and character is the issue. But anybody can get at it. And yeah. the reason why that has to be true is because it has to be true the other way around. Yeah. So you got some film uh, full of white folks doing whatever these yeah. two were doing. They got to be able to have a brother at the helm of sure. that. And should be able to look at that movie and you know what? I think the filter of this film might be a brother or an yeah. Indian guy or a Pakistani or whatever. Feel it. But that's okay. That's okay. You know, that's the way I love it, man. Yep. All right. Uh, let me let me. Uh, jump. We're going to jump over to the founder. You got yeah. Look. Jump over to the founder. Because I got to tell you, the founder, the founder was a very vexing film. Um, we should have felt about the founder a lot of how we felt about Hidden Figures. I thought that was going to be a big Oscar contender. I did. And, and, and certainly Michael's performance, I thought, yeah. uh, would have been. Weinstein the founder, the, didn't it, get it out of it. it, it he wanted, he wanted, they, they, they wanted, the filmmakers wanted to have this both ways. Um, you, they, they wanted to explore this era, fine. They wanted to explore this sort of iconic American figure, fine. Yeah. Um, and, and then when they walked up to the darker sides of this iconic American figure, because let's, let's face it, Ray Kroc, you know, he, he, had, he had some dark moments. Yeah. He liked he liked his early Williams, yeah, uh, and the stuff with the wife and the, and the other guy's wife, Joan Croc, who everybody you know donated all that money. Yeah. God bless her. They they really skirted around all that stuff. Yeah, 
um, and, and, and simply did not want to go there. And I think that's what undermined the, the award chances for this movie, which is out on Blu-ray and DVD and uh, digital HD and, and you know, it, it looks good there. But it undermines the movie, the fact that they just don't, just go there. Just go there with the guy. And I, I really love this story. And I think it's, uh, it, it's fine. They did, they did an okay job sort of telling it, but they really didn't, um, they didn't pull out all the stops like I, like I thought they, they might. But it's, I mean, still, it's informative. It's a good story. I'm glad somebody told it. But uh, It's enjoyable. But I think enjoyable. that in this day and age, you know, it would, it would have been okay if they had just decided yeah. to, to actually go there. Did you see Split? I did. And uh, I'm, you know, I know a lot of people are trying. They're really bending over backwards to M. say. Night, oh, trying, M. Trying Night. To help him, yeah. yeah, trying to help him on his way back. I, I know. I, I can't I can't be on board this. Yeah. It's just it's you know first of all, multiple personalities is I'm not one of those people that sort sort of feels like there are certain things that are above exploitation. There's nothing that's above exploitation. Yeah. I mean you know if you if if you're gonna make a movie about it you know like a a, a serial killing uh, cancer patient I you knock, you, yourself you, out. knock yourself out. So it's not that they have taken multiple personalities and turned it into kind of a thriller uh, trope. I, I'm okay, I'm fine. You can you can do that. Um, but it's just that it's so. I don't know. Um, it's so just. It it makes it just make takes such obvious turns. Here's the thing. At, at the end of the day, I I didn't see this movie because I wasn't on that week. I didn't have to yeah. see the movies on, and I already knew that I didn't want to see. It. First of all, let's 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 point this out. Multiple personality disorder does not exist. Okay? <laughs> Doesn't exist. Uh, despite what you remember from Sybil, nineteen seventy, yeah. whatever the hell. And it was, three faces of Eve. Three faces of Eve. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Science has dismissed it. All right. Uh, primal fear. All of that. You know, yeah. doesn't exist. All right. So th- th- that's fine too. Don't care. I don't care. We used to make diseases up all the time. <laughs> Medical center. Yeah. You know, you know all that kind sure. of stuff. So that's fine. Don't care about that. If you do one of these and you, as the filmmakers, take it remotely seriously, yeah. I'm going to stab you out. <laughs> and that's the problem, you know, is that we keep yeah. taking this seriously and yeah. we can't you can't take it seriously. It, anyway, this this is fine. It feels it's just too MacGuffin-y. It's like it's a it's a MacGuffin wrapped in a in a Mac, in a McMuffin <laughs> wrapped in a, you know, whatever. It's just it's uh. it's just got too many of them. And I I kind of want I want him to do a real movie again. I want James McAvoy to be an actor again. I want him to do something like Atonement again, right? Yeah, yeah. Where he he takes a you know he he has it in him, and he's just become like this guy that does does X Men movies, and then occasionally he'll do something like this, and he's just raking in so much cash now. He doesn't feel like he needs to be a real actor anymore, and that's sad to me because he's he's better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, anyway, what are you gonna do? Uh, I got a couple of Blu-rays here. Uh, and uh, they're kind of this is middling stuff, uh, but if you if you want to kind of pad out your Blu-ray collection with some you know things, Con- that are- concept I call those concept movies. Yeah. Somebody had an idea for a movie. You know the concept seems cool. It'll cost a buck ninety-five to yeah. do. You know, so let's yeah. make the damn movie. So uh, Tank Four Thirty Two is uh, executive produced, not directed by executive produced by Ben Wheatley. Who Tim and I actually oh, yeah. like, you yeah. know, a field in England. Field in England. I mean, cool several, several for he and his wife. Yeah, they do all those things. So Ben Wheatley uh, obviously saw something that was kind of in his wheelhouse, and he decided to throw it a little bit of a uh, little bit of a bone and give it an executive producer backing. Uh, this is kind of this uh, Mad Maxi story about these mercenaries, and uh, it's kind of like if the war on if there was some kind of a war on terror thing happening in a Mad Max kind of environment. 
but this is it all kind of is about this uh, there's a hostage thing and it's in an abandoned tank yes and uh, it, it, it there's things that that are revealed thereafter. Things you know, it's, you're sort of it's like you find yourself in the middle of a Russian uh, nesting doll, yeah. and you sort of work your way out. Yeah, yeah. And I won't I won't give you any other details about that. But it's um it's not, not bad. Not much of it happens too far from that tank. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it, but it's interesting, and it's it's uh, you know Nick Gillespie who wrote and directed it is uh, is a guy who will do something very very interesting when somebody gives him a bigger budget. But it's an interesting little movie to check out. Tank four thirty two uh, on Blu ray, and then Punching Henry, uh, which has some uh, interesting performances in it, mainly from J.K. Simmons, who's who's doing a lot of interesting stuff, and uh, Sarah Silverman who shows up in this as well. Um, this is on Blu ray. And uh, it is not as funny as it thinks it is. Tick, but it, Tick Notaro is in it, and she is supposed to provide that sort of comedic thing. Yeah, that she, uh, and I don't really know Tick Notaro. She's a comedian, you know, yeah. sort of a bright, sort of uh, self-evasive, very revealing sort of comedian. Yeah. Uh, wrote a book or something about her, all kinds of horrible things that happened to her. Well, this is, like a, this is a little bit of a, a little twist on Whiplash. J.K. Simmons is this uh, TV producer who's going to... Uh, try to turn a comedian into a reality star and there are a lot of inside jokes it's very meta it's got you know people like Doug Stanhope show up and Sarah Silverman as I said before you know people that you have some who have some recognizability um, it, it's um, you know probably means more to stand up comics and people in reality television than it would to your average person but it's got some you know there's some nice little insights to it so mm. it's not bad uh, what do I got over here I got uh, Walking with the Enemy Oh my gosh, this thing! Uh, yeah, Ben Kingsley's in it though. You know, Ben King. Yeah, Ben Kings. This this is a. Um, oh gosh, I saw this so long ago before they. Uh, I, b- 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 this thing has been sort of in the mix for a long time. It's uh, another one of those World War Two. Um, one of those wo- tr- allegedly true World allegedly War Two stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder how much of it is embellished. It's uh, it's Hungarian. Takes place in Hungary. Ben Kingsley plays, you know, the the president of Hungary, who sort of is dealing with Nazi occupation and trying to hold his country together, and even while it's occupied and all this. And the Ben Kingsley stuff has nothing to do with the the rest of the it's main like story. Like a little thriller that's going on in the background with the guy yeah. disguised as the Nazi guy. Yeah, and he's disguised. He's disguising himself as a Nazi in order to SS sort of guy, yeah. yeah, you know, it's 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 what it means the Hungarian Jew disguising himself as a Nazi in order to sort of undermine the anyway. It's it, it's a it's a bit of a silly story. It doesn't really hang together very well. I question just how much of it really is based on fact and how much they embellished. Um, but the you know the whole posing as a Nazi thing has been done a few times before, and it's usually yeah. it never really rings true. Yeah, it yeah. never really does. I, mean, it's, I it's, you know, Quentin used it. It's, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. People, it, look, it's it's freaking Hogan's Heroes. You throw on some <laughs> Nazi uniforms and you speak with a German accent, and 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 you're you're gonna get a pass. I don't think so. Uh, you must be one of them. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't quite work. Um, and then uh, I got a thing here from Breaking Glass called Actor Martinez. Uh, this is by Ma- Nathan Silver and Mike Ott. Uh, I don't quite know how to describe this. It is a, um, it's it's kind of a film within a film, one of those things uh, about a guy who's a computer uh, computer technician who gets these uh, wants to be a movie star, and he gets a couple of filmmakers to put him in it, 
and uh, it's a little bit more acerbic than it probably should be. The but it's kind of funny at the same time. Mm. I don't. I, I wasn't quite sure how to sort of swallow the tone of this. Uh, it, it it's um it's very artsy. Um, it, it if that sound you know it's and it, I don't know, man. It's mm. kind of you know it's it's got a it's a weird it's got a weird vibe to it and it. It reminds me in some ways of, um, what was the Ernest Borgnine, the old uh, Mistress. Oh, Mistress. Remember Mistress? Oh, yeah. Um, it feels it like was, uh... Mistress, only not funny and more, um, maybe a little more more vinegar, a little more bitter, a little more cynical about the business. Anyway, actor Martinez... Uh, Check it out. If you if you're if, you know if you've ever been worked on an independent film or tried to work on an independent film and you understand some of the the minefields that that are that are part of that process, this probably will mean something to you. If you're otherwise not I so think much. Think about movies like In the Soup. Yeah, uh, that that, that so as well. Way back. Yeah, yeah, In the Soup's another one. No, 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 no. Uh, Christy, Christy's work. Christy worked on uh, the other, uh, a different Buscemi film. Yeah, you go there. Yeah, uh, the one either. Uh, um, uh, so anyway, I got the bounce back here. This is one of these uh, little. I like the, I like these movies um, um, because they're family oriented and they're funny. Uh, and you know, it's Steve Harvey does a lot of them. But you know, this is Shamar Moore and Nadine Velasquez and Bill Bellamy. Bill Bellamy, uh, who looks exactly the same as he did 20 years ago when he was in Love Jones. You know, it's the 20 year anniversary of Love Jones. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, it, it, which is interesting because this film actually stems out of that film. That film is probably like the progenitor of the next 20 years worth of these little sort of like black relationship movies, right? right. Uh, so you have Shamar Moore, and he's this guy uh, who's this sort of like a uh, relationship guru guy. Uh, wrote a book and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, you have uh, Nadine Velasquez, who's the host of one of these talk shows. Uh, and they are these, it's one of these opposite attract sort of things. You know, right. He sort of falls for her. But in doing so, he has to reveal a whole bunch of things about himself and he has a daughter. It's really it's really cute. It's really funny. Um, uh, this is a, a DVD. Not a whole lot on this, but, you know, it's, it, it's neat in the way that it is. You know, um, The Bounce Back is the name of that. Speaking of, speaking of uh, the, the Love Jones, uh, and, and doing research for a piece, I looked up uh, Theodore Whitcher, right? Theodore, yeah. Theodore Whitcher you know, yeah. wrote, wrote, wrote and directed Love Jones. Yeah. You know what else Theodore Whitcher wrote and directed? Nothing. Literally. Nothing. If you look him up <laughs> on the IMDb, That's sad. you will see. Uh, he wrote another movie that he didn't direct, and then in a, in a you know, fairly decent movie, Forrest Whitaker and some people that, <clears throat> in 98. But basically, Love Jones, 1997, quintessential movie. Theodore Witcher wrote and directed it, and nothing else. A buddy okay. of ours, Sherman, did a Denny's commercial with Theodore Witcher. He was yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe he just decided, you know, making commercials to make more money. Uh, but it's super duper weird that the writer director of a film that iconic yeah. did not direct anything else. Fascinating. Fascinating. That happened. Those those one hit wonders happen every once in a every, while. It, it, it's yeah. all kinds of reasons. But yeah. It's, it's weird. Anyway, uh, the bounce back was the name of the movie I was. Talking all about. right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Mad Families, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Um, so my good boy Charlie, who I've known for a long time, uh, Charlie Sheen. Uh, you know, I here's the thing. I haven't actually seen Charlie in a number of years. Last time I saw him, when he, when he went to television, that was like when I I, yeah. I haven't seen. Him. I I saw him at some press events uh, when he was still making some movies. 
And then he went to TV and became ridiculously highly paid. And then uh, his his life, like he oh, torpedoed yeah. his life. And I just wanted to, to reach out there and just say, dude, come on, pull it together. Um, but he's kind of pulling it together. So the anger management show didn't really pan out after that whole two two and a half men thing blew up and his yeah. tour and his you know we we went on just that all that deep end stuff winning. Uh, but he's now in uh, in this straight to DVD movie, which may be kind of a career correction for him, and I, I don't think it's terrible. Mad Families is not particularly a great movie. It's kind of an Adam. It's like a second tier Adam Sandler type movie. Well, yeah, uh, Fred Wolf. Yeah, who's a Saturday Night Live uh, writer, director, guy, Did, Joe Dirt, wrote and all Joe that. Dirt, and yeah. all that. Yeah. So I mean, here's the idea. It's basically um, it's like Caddyshack at a campsite. Is that a fair way of maybe yeah, describing yeah, yeah, this? Yeah. You know, um, people who just uh, you, you you or or any of these movies like Neighbors is another one of these where oh, you take yeah. a domestic situation. The last place you expect to necessarily see a full-on war is between neighbors or on a golf. Well, this is a campsite, which is the all-American place where people get together and you know are supposed to be friends and neighbors. And uh, in point of fact, that does not happen. It's Fourth of July holiday. And uh, this is a camping spot in the weekend, and uh, it just turns into this crazy competition between families that just gets uh, completely out of hand. Um, Charlie's funny in it, still got his chops. Leah Ramini's in it. She's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, Efren Ramirez, very funny from Napoleon Dynamite. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, as far as straight-to-video productions go, this is, this is, you know, you could do worse. So mm. I, I give it a pass. Good, good, good. Cowgirl story? Uh, yeah, cowgirl story. Well, uh, these last two, real quickly here. Um, if, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Pat Boone in a while, you can catch and, him and, in cowgirl. Story. And Bailey Madison, yeah. who's who's getting, who's really growing up quite well and becoming a very, very good young actress. Uh, yeah, this is just a, a girl and her grandfather and a horse. That yeah. tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> Pat Pat Boone's the grandfather, and the horse is the horse. And uh, it it tries it has a little war angle, right? Well, yeah, her little, parents, her parents, both of her parents are away in the Afghanistan, war. right? Yeah, There's it's so it's, it's got a sort of for a little contemporary news relevance, but uh, but otherwise it's still you know it's about a girl and a horse, and that's ultimately and all those those you movies. Hurt yourself making a movie about a girl as far girl. back as as uh, uh, what was the Elizabeth Taylor thing? Uh, uh, Amer- the Black Beauty, American? No, no American. Uh, what was it? Uh, it's American oh, something. Yeah, something. Yeah. yeah anyway, that's when it starts. Anyway, it's about a big black horse and a girl. <laughs> and then uh, Walmart exclusive uh, Isolation with uh, Stephen Lang, who I always enjoy, and uh, Dominic Purcell, who I also always enjoy. Marie uh, Avgaropoulos you is know, the... Shane Dax Taylor. He, you know, he, he's one of the progenitors of the... He's the director. Yeah, the director of this yeah. movie, uh, who, also, who also made... Bloodworth, that whole that whole Southern Gothic thing that was happening there for yeah. a while. He's one yeah. of those guys. Gave yeah. us mud and and you know the and a few other things. So you know he's a good he's a good director. He yes, yeah. yeah, he definitely is. Uh, it's a it's a straight down the middle thriller. It's uh, it's rock solid. It's got some good good little twists in it. It's not a not a you know big screen type thing, but it it works. It it absolutely works. So uh, you got a Walmart exclusive, you know, and it's it's one of those uh, like it's all you know vacation gone wrong in the Bahamas, right, on an island, you know. The, the it's yeah. one of those paradise turns to hell uh, uh, allegories. But anyway, it's perfectly uh, perfectly solid. All right, so uh, that's it for uh, new movie stuff this week. Um, we got some. We got you know. Comics and whatnot, really interesting. Let's get into some TV here. Okay. 
we got some interesting DC stuff. We've got a couple of really cool box sets, some uh, some cool uh, little toy action here. Uh, I should have our friend Luke Thompson on because Luke's <laughs> Luke's the toy expert. He knows all this stuff. Uh, so we've got a little, uh, little figurine comes in Justice League Dark, which is a Blu-ray DVD combo, and you also got a figurine in a Blu-ray DVD combo box of Teen Titans, The Judas Contract. And um, I was always, I, I kind of dug the Teen Titans. I usually don't care for the, you know, I, you know, you know Tiny Titans or whatever. Yeah. That kind of, yeah. Teen Titans was kind of okay with me. But, but uh, these come with ultraviolet as well. And it's all, it's all rooted in, especially Justice League Dark, it's all based uh, very firmly in the, uh, in the, in the, um, uh, graphic novel world and I keep saying this on this show and I really wish that they would get the people who who write these these shows to write the live action ones yeah give them a shot you're hiring all the wrong people yeah well it, yeah. yeah yeah you're right these guys have these guys have one f good solid foot in the comics world they understand the characters and the relationships and they're they're much better than the guys who've been writing the feature stuff and, and frankly the the sort of deep story content stuff they yeah both know about it and care about it. The thing, the thing about the cats who, you know, the, the new Guardians of the Galaxy is queued up. Yeah. Come out here in a second. Is is you know they all claim. Well, I do the junkets and I interview you know these writers, directors, whoever's doing it. Oh, we're big fans of the of the original. Yeah. Uh, we love it. You know all this kind of stuff. But you know what? It doesn't show up in the movies. It doesn't seem like you knew that story at all. I know. <laughs> I know. You know. I know. I know. Uh, and if you saw that new Thor Ragnarok trailer, yep. those people have do not know that storyline. That's a very that's a very engaging trailer. But I can tell you right now, those people do not know that Ragnarok storyline. No, they, they don't. would have never made that dumbass trailer. Aren't you aren't you glad that uh, Jeff Goldblum is back in the mix for yeah, summer movies though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad to have him back. Yeah, you can't hurt yourself. It kind of looks like Gamesters of Triskelion in the Star Trek episode. <laughs> I almost think that people are going to start bidding Quatloos on on Thor and Hulk. Anyway, so uh, Justice League Dark is really really cool. Uh, the you know it takes place in Metropolis and Gotham City, and uh, there's you know, there's something apocalyptic and supernatural happening. John Constantine shows up here. Uh, it, it's it, it's really really well animated. It's really well written. It's really sharp, and you get a toy. And then uh, Teen Titans: The Judas Contract. Similarly, really well written. Nice gift set here. Uh, you know, it's a, a slight notch below Justice League Dark, which is is just terrific. Um, uh, but you got Starfire and Beast Boy and Raven, and you know. And Robin, of course, looking all cool and not very Robin-y. And, uh, you know, Brother Blood, Deathstroke. It's a, it's, a, it's a great adventure. So all good stuff right there. You got the good wife over there. Yep. Uh, uh, seasons, uh, two, two, two boxes, seasons one through four in the first box. Yep. Seasons five through seven in the second yep. box. You know, I always really like the good wife. This is the complete series. Uh, 156 episodes, 42 discs. And I, I admit I did not – I saw a few episodes of the show, but I've not really been a faithful follower. I was the, the first, second season guy. Basically, yeah. I just dug the concept. The concept of the show basically is uh, Cook County uh, uh, attorney general uh, gets arrested in a sex and, 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 and corruption scandal. His wife, who had always been a lawyer but had been doing the whole housewife thing – 
has to come into the breach, take over the law firm, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. It's, 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 a, it's a women's empowerment series. And Juliana Margulies did this right out of uh, right ER. Out of, uh, ER. Right, right out, out of, of the ER. ER. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, you know, and, and, and I dug it for that reason, and, and it's really smart. Now there's a series on, I think they got a new series on called The, 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 good, the, good, the good Attorney, I forget, whatever, yeah. whatever, Kristen yeah. Bransky. Anyway, that's a neat series. Um, um, uh, all kinds of special features in the box as well. Yep, good stuff. All right, so we're going to now bump into our interview with Mark Sanderson, a longtime friend and screenwriter, about his terrific new book. Here we are. And we are talking with a, uh, a longtime personal friend of both Mark's and mine, uh, a very old friend of mine from both high school and film school, who is uh, also a friend of the podcast. We've interviewed him on the podcast before. He is a working screenwriter and now a, uh, the author of a, a brand new book on screenwriting where he is sharing uh, many of the, uh, the things that he has learned over uh, many years and many films. And uh, we are proud and happy to welcome Mark Sanderson back to the podcast. Mark, thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate uh, coming on again. Um, so uh, the, 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 go ahead and tell us the name of the book and where people can find it. Well, the book's title is A Screenwriter's Journey to Success, Tips, Tricks, and Tactics to Survive as a Working Screenwriter in Hollywood. And it's available on Amazon now as a paperback or Kindle. And it basically, you know, encapsulates my last 20 years of working, you know, in Hollywood's trenches, you know, and the reasoning, you know, I, I started blogging like five, six years ago. And after a number of years, I, I didn't quite realize that I had enough material for a book. So originally I didn't set out to write a book because it's a very daunting task and only having written screenplays before, um, I sort of snuck up, like I say, on the book. And once I had enough material and then, um, I started, you know, fabricating the, the chapters and writing it, you know, like it says, a screenwriter's journey to success. So it plots my start as a super eight filmmaker, um, and having to dream, uh, when our mutual friend Matt Reeves received a camera from his grandfather, Super 8 Camera, we started making films. And that was the initial spark that stuck with me um, and, you know, all of us who later met you know, to become a filmmaker. So then the process of making films on your own in high school and outside and going to film school. And then, of course, I thought I'd have, you know, outside of UCLA film school, a three-picture deal walking out. Here's your diploma and here's your deal. <laughs> And so for me personally, it was about six years out of film school before I had my first professional, you know, minor success, but my first door that opened that I was actually paid as a writer. And uh, that, that particular uh, spec screenplay I sold took about seven years from the time that I started writing it to when it actually, the cameras rolled. So it's been a long, you know, a long journey as, as each project has its, its own life, you know. And that and that first script that was uh, I'll remember April with Pat Morita. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was the, yes. The, uh, the wonderful late Pat Morita, and you were you were a bit ahead of the curve too in the subject that that dealt with, which is you know uh, Japanese and Los Angeles and World War Two, and there were a lot of a lot of other films that dealt with that thereafter. So I I remember it well. That was that was right on the cusp of a thing. Um, yes. So. Yeah. 
so the, the, the book itself, which I have read and which I think is just such an amazing uh, and a refreshing addition to the, the body of screenwriting books, most of them you read and it's, you know, it's usually written by a professor or a seminar guru who's just giving you their opinion of what constitutes great structure and what kind of screenplays they think you should be writing. And the yeah. thing that I love about yours is um, it's, you're not imposing your idea of storytelling on anybody. You're, imp- you're expressing... You're, it's a, it's, you're basically uh, giving them coaching in what it takes to bring out the best writer in them, to sort of find who they are as a writer, to, to develop the work ethics and the strategies necessary to make whatever it is that they write successful. And that, that's something I haven't read before. So, so talk a little bit about sort of philosophically where, where the book comes from for you. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right about that. I didn't, you know, far be it for me to tell anybody how to write a screenplay. You know, I, I've, I've read all the gurus books and then, you know, taken pieces from here and there and then my own philosophies. So I, I didn't want to write a book like that. It would have been actually boring for me to say, you know, oh, you must open with this. You know, um, I, I thought my particular skill set is more in the survival uh, in the trenches and going back, you know, with with uh, there are stories in the book. But it's it's not just about, you know, like a memoir, you know, it opens with how I got my start. My family was not in the film business. So, I you know, there was no nepotism there. I had to actually, you know, claw and, you know, you know, learn and, you know, do whatever to try to make what success I've had. Um, but, you know, it's also inspirational because a lot of times people were reading uh, either tweets or, or and they, they always would say, which I like, is that. You know, I give a realistic approach, but I'm always optimistic right. and hopeful. And so, I, you know, I think I've run into a lot of aspiring young screenwriters and they think, you know, they're just going to write one screenplay and it's going to, you know, <laughs> set the world on fire mm-hmm. and they'll have a you know, career, of fame, fortune and glory. And, you know, I try to say in the book from my own stories and, you know, also going back, I had, I had a, a writing partner at one point for seven years, Andrew Roperto, who you know, um, and I had to go back in him and say, remember those meetings that we had, those crazy, you know, and a lot of times he wouldn't remember things. And then I would spur his memory or mine and going back to those, using those as examples. So the disciplines that I learned, I say, well, here's a scenario that it actually was useful in, or I learned a lesson from that meeting, you know, so it's that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's in chapters. You know, I tried to write it like a journey, truly. So it goes through, um, you know, the, the screenplay, and it talks about the 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 work, and you know, the daily life of a screenwriter. You know, called a duty in the depths of hell. I mean, you're going to be the person at 2 a.m. trying to figure out why the script doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you know that the producer has unleashed upon you, and also the thing about assignment work. You know, you're not going to sell specs your whole career. The one spec I did sell open the door for, I just finished my 17th assignment. So that's the bread and butter of, you know, working writers is to be paid. Yeah. We all love our specs and we want to, they're necessary, but I tell aspirants that your specs are your training tools, you know, to learn how to not overwrite and how to really nail a first draft. Don't make it a vomit draft where you're just throwing stuff at a wall because you're not going to have that luxury when you do get a job. And I stress that it is a job. The romanticized image a lot of people have of the red carpets, and you're sometimes you're not even invited to, you know, you're like, Hi, remember me? I wrote the film. Oh, oh, yeah, right. You yeah. know, 
I mean, I was at screening once, and they, they, I was sitting next to the lead actors and eating popcorn, sharing with them, and the producer gets up, and this is a big theater, and he goes, ah, oh, we want to thank everybody's here, and he points out, you know, blah, 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 and oh, my God, they were so great, and he goes, uh, so-and-so, and I was so, uh, you know, I'm going to be mentioned next, and he goes, and, and uh, Freddie did fantastic with a sushi, a craft service, and they go, let's roll the film, and the actors turned and looked at me, and I was like, mortified i was like yeah well um you know what do you say i just wrote the movie you know um so you know many times you're not going to get the the validation you expect and uh you know as, as a job you have the same requirements responsibilities and there's money on the line you know and i put in the book that that was the hardest thing when i first started getting paid you have to be creative under a deadline and there's money involved and there's pressure there but after a while you do you do rise to the occasion, you know, as a working writer and, and, and that's just the way it is. It's your job, you know, you know, you have a, you have a great story in the book as well. The, uh, that really goes to the heart of, uh, of what it means to sort of find yourself with, with one foot in each world at a certain point, uh, which is very telling. Cause I think, I think what you just said is, is, um, is true. People think that there's going to be that moment where boom, your life changes and you let go of the rope and your your yacht sails off into uh, you know into into the harbor of of wealth and riches and fame and and you have a, yeah. a great moment that's very sobering. Talk about that that story. Well, the day you know all, every screenwriter wants to be in Variety or a Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. You know, you're in the trades. I mean, it was my life's dream, and so finally I was in the trades because a company that bought my film, uh, the script that I wrote. Um, it was a brand new company. And so they had the cover of the variety, you know, brand new company, blah, blah, blah. And then I flipped through and I mentioned on page 15 or wherever it was. And it was, you know, a couple paragraphs about me. So that day I was like, wow, you know, my movie's marching down through development. I've been paid. I'm a professional writer, but it wasn't enough money to pay the bills, believe it or not, because the way money's, you know, step deals come and stuff. So it really wasn't enough to quit a job, which I've never really had a day job. You know, I waited tables for 10 years. I've done all these other, you know, different jobs to get by. So this was a catering job with this rinky dink company. And so the day that I was in, I went and bought like a stack of copies and I was on my way to do the job, which was in Beverly Hills at this giant estate. And I won't name the producer cause I don't name names in the book. Uh, but he's a mega producer, multi-billionaire. And I was sort of blindsided by, you know, my friend was the, the supervisor. So the two of us knuckleheads, pull up to this estate and there's security everywhere, highway patrol, LAPD, you know, undercover. I was like, wow, somebody must be, and there's a dignitary there. So we walk into the producer's house and there's the former prime minister of a, you know, Middle Eastern country there and dignitaries and secret service everywhere. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this, I, you know, I don't know this guy personally, but I know him as a producer. And I thought how ironic was that, you know, his company could have, you know, rejected my script. And here I am in his inner sanctum serving him coffee for, you know, for breakfast. Hmm. You know, it's like, so beware of the, uh, the screenwriter who you, uh, you know, you treat unkindly because he just might end up, you know, in your house, you know, at a catering party. And so we worked the day out and, uh, my, my friend always pushed me, he said, get, get in the other room. They always want to see somebody. And he didn't want to, you know, have the pressure of having to be in the main room. And so I heard, you know, they said, oh, Mr. Prime Minister, are you going to run for election again? And I'm pouring coffee at that point and our eyes meet. And he's like, no, no, no more coffee. Thank you. I said, oh, so I'm hearing like inside information. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. So the day ends, we get paid and we leave. 
And I go out to my car and I sit down, I look in, you know, in the passenger seat, the covers of variety. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is just, a, I wish, you know, it was a film crew following. Cause this is like more of the reality of Hollywood. You know, you can have a foot in both worlds and you really can mess with your head. You know, if you don't stay grounded, um, because a lot of times it doesn't mean anything, you know, like you think it does. Oh, a script sells, like you said, and your life changes overnight. It, it doesn't. It means now you have to do it again and again to have a career, you know, yeah. and you have to have people want to hire you and build those relationships. And that's a big point in the book. I talk about, um, you know, relationships and networking and the professional work ethic. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, it's a long, it's a long, and, you know, the book, I'm glad it's done. It, I don't say it almost killed me, but it was a long process to get right the way that I wanted. But I'm very happy it now has its own life like a child. It's like you're out of the house. Go have your life. Call me when you send, you know, some uh, some good news. But I, I want it to uh, be sort of a guide for, you know, the screenwriters that are up and coming uh, to take a couple of nuggets from. And, you know, and and maybe they, they won't suffer the same pitfalls. Yeah. Which will always be out there. Um, and also the attitude adjustment a little bit. Um, so that's why I say there's a fine line between optimism, but a little bit of realism there with some, some anecdotal stories, you know. Um, and, it, and it, you know, it goes right up to the point of today, you know. So I, I, you know, I wrote it up to the point of what's happening in my life today. So it still continues. Like I said, at the end, it says, fade out the end of the book, but my journey continues, you know. Well, you've, you, there are so many, so many great bits in there, and uh, the thing that really struck me the most is the, the importance of work ethic and really committing yourself to doing it, because I think, I, I know so many, we both know so many writers who, who treat it as kind of a casual thing. Well, I'll, you know, I'll wait until the juices flow, I'll see if I'm kind of feeling the vibe, and then I'll sit down, I'll yeah. write for three hours. And, uh, you know, you've done deadline work, which I find to be so daunting, where you've had two or three weeks to do something or, or you know, and, and, and it's a phenomenal amount of work that you have to do every single day to meet that deadline. Uh, oh, yeah. That's that's something I think most people don't realize. I just finished a, a gig um, where I had 14 days and I was going to finish in 12, which I never did before. It was such a challenge because usually, you know... Um, you get a month and some, you know, maybe eight weeks if you're lucky, but boy, you know, if you're not training yourself when you're doing your specs and you're like, ah, I can just do a page a day and one next week, you know, <laughs> that's why I say if you're writing specs, keep on that schedule as if you did have a boss that was going to, you know, you had a deadline because boy, it's, you're right, 14 page one day I did 14 pages, um, which is a big, big undertaking, you know, it's full day of writing. You know, so it's like you like when you're 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 a runner as well, like like I am, and you have to build up your endurance. You just can't get out there and run eight miles. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I think with writing, you're going to have to sit down and be able to focus uninterrupted for for a long period of time when it's your job. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of writers have offices away from their house because they don't want the interruptions. You know, it's just you and the blank page. And like I say, we're all equal. That you know, I've written 33 scripts. This one I just turned in was my 33rd feature. And, and uh, I still am humbled by the craft. That's what I put in the book. Never think you're bigger than the craft because, you know, you will be humbled by Hollywood and the craft of screenwriting because there's still things to know every time out. It makes it easier. Sure, you can, you can, you know, you know your way around the house, but there's always a piece of furniture that's there. Suddenly the lights go out and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, you know. 
You have to rely back. Sometimes it's funny because I start freaking out and stressing out. And some, someone uh, told me recently, said, hey, you know, you should really get this book. And I go, oh, yeah, what book's that? And they go, well, it's, you know, and they started, you know, baiting me. And I go, they go, oh, you mean my book? And they go, yeah, you're not following your own <laughs> discipline. And I go, yeah, I forgot it. I fell out of, you know. Well, I, uh, I, it's a terrific book. It really is, and it's a good read. And uh, and Matt was very kind and, and wrote you an introduction for it too, which is yes. pretty great timing with Planet of the Apes coming out uh, yeah. right on the heels and, uh, of the book. J.J. Uh, Abrams too, and yeah. uh, uh, Brian Trenchard Smith, a, a veteran director, and you know that's why I talk about those relationships with, with those people. The directors I've worked with have become friends and mentors. And we've, besides the company that hired me and I met them through the producer, we've gone on to pitch other things together. And, you know, I, I, I worked on uh, Bitter Harvest, which was out recently yeah. um, as a production consultant. And, you know, you never know where it goes. That's why it's so important to uh, keep those relationships. Well, Mark, thank you so much for talking to us. I hope uh, I know a lot of our I know a lot of our listeners uh, will take this to heart and, and give us the title of the book once again, available at Amazon. Yes, uh, A Screenwriter's Journey to Success, Tips, Tricks, and Tactics to Survive as a Working Screenwriter in Hollywood. And, uh, of course, they can look up your name, Mark Sanderson, yeah. that is S-O-N. Uh, and, uh, well, yes. we, we, will, uh, we will urge them to do so, and we'll, uh, we'll get a link on the, uh, on the podcast as well. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, thanks, guys, so much for having me. Terrific. Thanks, Mark. All righty. There it is. Mark Sanderson, Screenwriter's Guide to Success. Mark. And uh, it's another a, it's a, mark, different mark. Another mark. It is, it is, and it is a really good book for all the reasons that uh, that we talked about. So you know, Mark is 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 a working screenwriter. Yeah, uh, he's a guy who is a journeyman working screenwriter. Yeah, and it's and it's all the stuff that he talked about in the interview, which is that you know you don't go out there and just sell specs all the time. You get assignments. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, he's he's you know kind of like from the old school yeah. of, of, of guys back in the day. You know, because a lot of cats, you know, they they are wherever they are, they live wherever they live, they bang out some screenplay, you know, pick up Sid Field or whatever the hell. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and bang out some screenplay, and they think, oh well, you know, I got that now. And they, well, you know what? Most of the people in this town who make a living as a screenwriter. Uh, do it on the strength of uh, the stuff that they've written before yep. that's been made into films and stuff like that. You know, yep. I mean, it's, 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 it's all working screenwriter. Anyway, let's get back into uh, some TV stuff. Got a couple of um, really cool British titles here. Uh, one from Acorn, Agatha Christie's Witness for the Prosecution, which is, you know, this is an Acorn TV original uh, done for the Acorn TV streaming service. And uh, this is something that's been, you know, done before. We're all familiar with it. Agatha Christie is not an unknown quantity. She's all over the place. We've got, you know, d d no. d hundreds of hours of Poirot yeah. and uh, Miss Marple. Marple. <laughs> but this is really, really good. Uh, I, I think they did a fabulous job. Really interesting casting. Toby Jones and Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Uh, really terrific and beautifully done. Really well written. Nice adaptation. Doesn't feel old and dusty like in the seventies. Uh, really, really very good. And uh, I, I just love how Kim Cattrall sort of ages into. Yeah. She's she's aging so well in all these different parts always, in a very interesting always way. Always has, always has Kim Cattrall. Go all the way back to Mannequin. My, my first Kim Cattrall, Porky's. Yeah. Kim oh, that's right. Oh wow. Well, anyway, this takes place in London in the nineteen twenties. 
and uh, Kim Cattrall is the uh, the victim of a murder. And uh, next thing you know, we've got it. We're stuck in a whodunit, and it's uh, it's all really, really stylish and just very clever and very nicely done. It's uh, this is a particularly long. This is over two hours long, but it doesn't feel that long. It really breezes by. It's it's, it's really two episodes. Yeah, Ju- Julian Harold. Did that, right. K- kinky boots. Yeah, that's did, right. Did, who did we interview? You and I interviewed. Oh, we, did we interview Chiwetel? Yes, yeah, Chewy. We interviewed yeah, Chewy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, the complete second season of Home Fires, which uh, is part of uh, PBS's masterpiece, and uh, this comes over as yet another great World War II era British television series. They just uh, there's no end to them, and this is just really really great. There's a touch of uh, hope and glory as a TV series in this a little bit, uh, which is great. Anything to do with the home front in the UK during World War II, during the, uh, the Battle of Britain and all of that stuff, is really, really great because it had just this tremendous... Mrs. Miniver, you know, yeah. is, it, it yeah. kind of begins this genre in some respect. Stalwart uh, old, women standing... Women and, and, you know, holding it down and, and men who didn't go to fight, who are maybe too old or too young, whatever the case is. The whole British home front during the Battle of Britain, really great stuff. And they, uh, they do such a good job. Production value is top-notch. Continues to be a great show. Home Fires, complete second season. Really, really great uh, cast on this, too. Francesca Annis, for crying out loud. Just such a lovely actress. Outstanding, outstanding. Are we going to pop over to uh, a couple other ones? Yeah, let me mention uh, real quickly another Acorn uh, series. This is season two, part one of 800 Words, which uh, is, is kind of gaining some popularity. This is not British, per se. This is you know Australian, takes place in Sydney, and it's contemporary, present day. But this is a good show, and uh, getting better, actually. I don't know why we're separating season two into different parts. I, I have to inquire with the Acorn people and find out what uh, prompted that, But because uh, that's an American thing that's really annoying. But still, uh, this is really good. The, uh, the the whole thing here is you know about um, uh, you know Australian New Zealand guy who used to work in Australia he's moved to New Zealand and uh, he was you know he's a newspaper columnist and uh, trying to sort of have a you know start his life all over after a tra- in the wake of tragedy yeah. anyway so um, I, that's uh, you know there's a there's a lot of really great down under stuff culturally and otherwise and uh, you know I, I I think this is really sharp so um, it's also very explicit you know it like as as shows from Australia and New Zealand tend to be so yeah, yeah. 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 Just just be prepared for that. You're going to see some things and probably <laughs> probably probably enjoy some things. I love it. Anyway. Uh yeah, and then uh Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Now that's an interesting series. Um the, 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 you know, I, whatever. I started watching Mike Judge. Yeah. A big Mike Judge fan uh of of course. What's most interesting about this series? Just about everybody who has worked on this series, all those series regulars have gone on to do something Else, interesting, mm-hmm. be it an independent film or another series or or probably there's no every one of them. Anyway, it's a funny, funny series. Relatively speaking, this is the uh, complete third season. Um, uh, look, the guy who uh, wrote and directed Office Space is going to be okay with yeah. me. No, nobody would have done. This sort of like lives in that zone a little bit. It's kind of wacky, kind of funny about these guys. You know, uh, a, a little bit raw, a little bit interesting. It's fun. So I uh, I don't know if you're into it. Eleven Emmy nominations. Uh, this original HBO series. This is Blu-ray DVD. Not bad. Not bad at all. 
Mars. Um, I don't know if you've been watching this one, the National Geographic. I have not. Mars. I've been I've been meaning to. It's the Ron the Ron Howard thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, an interesting sort of undertaking. I like the idea. Don't particularly like the series. I like all of the sort of documentary style cutaways, right? So yeah, the, this is a first mission to Mars. Is what's going on here. Brian Grazer and and uh, and and Ron Howard uh, doing this for the National Geographic. It really is astounding looking. That's for sure. Um, the journey to Mars, where they're going to establish, uh, you know, this colony and all that kind of stuff. That's that's the less interesting part of the series. So whenever we're in the narrative stuff, uh, the sort of movie making stuff, less interesting. You think it would be the other way around. Now, when we're in the stuff that's basically quasi documentary, talking heads and stuff like that. Frankly, that stuff is fascinating. Here, it's yeah. the exact reverse of what you would think it would be. From the director of Apollo 13. Right. You'd think he'd get the doc stuff wrong right. and get the movie stuff right. Here, the <laughs> movie stuff, not so, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's a little martial, yeah. a little dark. That's one thing I don't like about it, particularly after having seen that Matt Damon movie. Yeah. Which was, you know, despite all the thrills and everything like that, a pretty upbeat kind of movie. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, funny. This, this is a real downer trip to Mars that these guys are taking. <laughs> and it's all the works. And nevertheless, anyway, over two hours, a National Geographic series Blu ray. Uh, Mars. Beautiful. Uh, and then we got, uh, well, last on the TV end, uh, Legend of Bruce Lee. We uh, did a giveaway of the first season of that. That is now in volume two. Uh, the, you know, the, the heavily fictionalized but very, very well done uh, narrative story of Bruce Lee's life as a TV series. Uh, you know, this is from Wellgo, and uh, three discs in here carrying on the, uh, the, the story of Bruce Lee in another ten episodes, stretching it out a little bit more than it probably needs to. But you know what? I, I still think it's really, really good. Uh, Danny Chan is really a terrific actor to play the part of Bruce Lee. He does a really good job. And, uh, I, you know, it, it, sure, it, they pad this with all kinds of stuff in here that uh, just doesn't... Uh, really didn't happen in Bruce Lee's life, but it's okay. It's a good show. It's a good time. And uh, ten, epi- 10 more episodes in The Legend of Bruce Lee. Mm, can't go wrong with that. Uh, Bruce Lee has come back up recently in the culture. I think his daughter put out a... Shannon. Shannon uh, yeah. put out a compendium of uh, his... Uh, Correct. Uh, with screenplays, and yep. all, but, but all annotated with his own personal notes. Oh, that's great. he was sort of like working through all I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was really... Oh, and uh, little, little bits of haiku and all kinds of things he wrote. Yeah. There. Okay, and we're going to uh, get on to some classic movies and wrap the show out at that point. Um, got a few here from uh, our Warner Archive Collection. Two DVD-Rs and one Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is such a treat. This is fantastic. Uh, this is the Cinemascope classic World Without End. Uh, Warner Archive on Blu-ray. Uh, starring Hugh Marlowe and Nancy Gates. You ever heard of Hugh Marlowe and Nancy Gates? Probably not, because uh, they were kind of, you know, B-movie people. But, uh, boy, Cinemascope, uh, a Cinemascope B-movie sci-fi Spectacular! This is just a riot, a stone-cold, hilarious riot in, in a really affectionate way. Uh, you know, you didn't really use widescreen at the time on, on kind of B-movies, but yeah. they did in this case, and uh, what a lot of fun it is. It's from 1956, same year as uh, such you know, big epics as uh, the, the uh, Ten Commandments was 1956, Around the World in 80 Days. So you uh, have the very, very first Mars mission here, which winds up turning into a uh, time travel disaster, and uh, they wind up in the future, and uh, apes have taken the... No, no, sorry, a different movie. Uh, the, uh, anyway, this is a post-apocalyptic future, 
everything's been devastated, kind of like, uh, you know, the a little bit like what you see in the uh, time uh, machine, the old George Powell time machine. Uh, it's got a few. It bar, it's got a few things borrowed from that concept, and uh, you know, it's all very titillating and uh, low budget, and it looks like it was shot in Pacoima. Uh, it's quite a. It's quite. It's quite a lot of fun. So, uh, World Without End, definitely check that out. That's a whole lot of fun on Blu-ray. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cinemascope. And then DVD-R releases include uh, John Bowles and Jack Oakey, the great Jack Oakey, comic legend along with Ida Lupino in Fight for Your Lady. Yeah. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Good old classic uh, black and white kind of programmer where you uh, is set in the world of um, uh, wrestling. And, you know, I always think of uh, uh, the uh, Coen brothers. Uh, oh, uh, 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 not the, not the Hudson, Barton Fink. Barton Fink, thank yeah, you. Yeah. It's a Wallace Berry wrestling need, movie. Need, need a Wallace Berry picture. Wallace Berry Wrestling movie. What do you need? You got Wallace Berry Wrestling. What else do you need? Fantastic. So anyway, this is this is literally one of those movies. It's set in the world of wrestling, and it's just it's it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a programmer. Not you know don't don't uh, don't expect a, a ton out of it, but it's a lot of fun. And then this is the one I really thought was great. Miriam Hopkins, Joel McRae, and Faye Ray in the Richest Girl in the World. Um, this is just beautifully, beautifully shot, really nicely put together from uh, 1934, an RKO film, uh, which is uh, about a, uh, a woman, and I don't know to what degree this has any real root in real events, but this is about a woman whose parents were killed on the Titanic, and she is now just this incredibly wealthy uh, kind of Paris Hilton of her, of her day, and um, it, it there's a she becomes kind of a what are we going to call sort of a sort of a bit of a recluse and uh, I don't like well, she's not really a recluse she's let's say just very private let's just say she's turned her life into, into a super kind of a very private a very private enclave of a life and uh, into that there enters Joel McRae who is the guy that sort of disrupts this very closely secluded world. It's very, it's really interesting. It has a lot to say about celebrity culture then, celebrity culture now. And it's a little melodramatic, but honestly, for a, for a film that's kind of sitting on the, on the edge of pre-code, yeah. I thought it was really, really interesting. So The Richest Girl in the World, Miriam Hopkins, Joel McRae, Faye Ray, Definitely worth checking out. Can't go wrong with Joel McRae yep. anyway. No. Um, uh, the Handmaid Tales. Uh, this is this is 1990. This is one of the first films that I covered, uh, the, did a junket for. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, Harold Pinter, uh, uh, Harold Pinter's adaptation of Margaret Atwood's uh, sort of uh, futuristic dystopian novel in a future where most women right. are infertile. Uh, and uh, the, the late Natasha Richardson, Lee, Lee Meeson's yeah. late wife, uh, uh, played that character, Faye Dunaway, Robert Duvall. I remember that that, that being a very good movie. Directed by Volker <laughs> Schlondorf, by, who, yeah. who, who had done uh, The Tin, Tin Drum. Drum. Yeah, 79, the year I graduated yeah. from high school, 79 he did that. Um, and I remember that. I, it's, it's interesting in that uh, a re-envisioning of The Handmaid's Tale is running now on one of the streaming services. I'm going to say mm. Hulu, maybe. Yeah. But whichever. But the point of it is that this this story, which was a feature film in 1990, adapted by Harold Pinter, exact same. Today, it's a streaming movie. Mm. Still, a, a, you know, a wonderful sort of you know a turn for it. But it just goes to show you where the media has moved right. uh, over the last uh, several years. Uh, also, a league of their own. 
I got to tell you, um, anniversary edition, anniversary edition of Lear, 25th year anniversary. Man, oh man, oh man, who to tell you? Madonna, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Lori Petty, Lori Petty's a friend of mine. This is a um, this is a really extraordinary film directed by Penny Marshall, who I'm going to put in the category, the, despite the fact that Penny had a perfectly fine career yeah. as a director, perfectly yeah. you know, perfectly fine career. I'm still going to put it in the category of a woman whose career sh- should have been big bigger. Had she been a man, had she been her brother, for yeah. instance, uh, who passed away, what, a year ago, two years yeah. ago, uh, Penny's career would have been as big as his. Of the films that she made were that good. This is a really wonderful film, and what's great about it is it still plays today. You, mm. can, you can pop this in, and it will hit you uh, and uh, sort of sweep you away and be just as funny as it was uh, when it came out back in 1992. Fantastic. And, and I, I do, uh, I'm going to do this one if you don't mind. No, do it. Tales from the Hood. <laughs> Rusty Cundiff. Uh, you know, so again, you know. Uh, now, you knew Rusty back then, didn't I, you? I knew Woody. I worked on, um, I worked on Fear, Fear of a, a Black, Black Hat, Hat. <laughs> which he originally shot, by the way. Rusty originally shot that yeah. film on VHS Didn't really. tape. He shot that whole movie. On VHS tape, brought that movie to a company I was working for at the time, a company called ITC. Such a funny movie. Uh, it was, and it was, it, dude. It was just hysterical. Some of the same cast that's in that's, yeah. in, uh, that's in that. Anyway, the movie we're talking about is Tales <laughs> from the Hood. I'm going all off on that. This is this is also uh, a collector's edition. I, I and you know, full. I think I know everybody in this movie too. Yeah, yeah, know him, know him. Yep, know him. Yeah, know him. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, I, look, I, I'm. Um, but this was one of those first movies from from that period. Yeah. Um, uh, produced, you know, uh, uh, by a little cadre of black filmmakers to move to move out of what had been the genre films of the day, sort of um, a yeah. notch forward from, say, black exploitation films yeah. of a generation before, or the deeply black dramas uh, of, of of that period too. Again, yeah. Maddie Rich's film, Sidewalk Stories, a few others sure. popping around back then. These guys, Jason's lyric, Jason's lyric, all of that. These guys, you know what? We're just gonna make a movie. We'll, 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 it'll be iconic to the hood, but it'll be the kind of and they and they made this neat little movie. This has all kinds of stuff on it: a making of documentary, feature interviews with just about everybody, uh, and audio commentaries and all that kind of stuff. Vintage uh, featurette from back in the day. Tales from the hood. Not not bad at all. And I uh, got a silent film here from the uh, great people at Flickr Alley, who we just adore. This is a this is a Blu-ray. Of uh, Irving, Irvin Willat's Behind the Door, newly restored by the San Francisco Silent Film Festival, uh, a movie with which I was entirely unfamiliar, made in 1919 by Thomas Ince, who mm. was a, you know, Thomas Ince made mostly westerns and so forth. But, you know, it, Thomas Ince, by the way, Inceville, mm. uh, which was his studio at the time, do you know where Inceville was? Is it, where's, where's the street in St. Hollywood? It's not in Hollywood. It's, it's in Pacific Palisades. Really? Where the uh, Self-Realization Fellowship is. Lake Shrine. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, with yeah. The, with the monks and the whole thing. That was originally Inceville, where well, Sunset Boulevard meets PCH, uh, the Gladstone's Restaurant, and all of that stuff. And that, I, I, my nuts are Ince is a street in Hollywood. I mean, it's it after is. him. But well, Ince, actually, Culver City has Ince. That's where. Oh, that's in Culver City. That's where he eventually ended up. But but Inceville, his big giant lot that, that by the in, sea, was in Pacific Palisades, no where idea. Lake Shrine and the Self Realization Fellowship people are right now, where yeah. monks and uh, and birds and people go and. <laughs> You know the whole thing. That's so anyway, uh, and I'm assuming that some of this was must have been shot there as well. Anyway, behind the door 
is a, is a is a little bit of a mess, but it's interesting, especially now that we're in this 100th anniversary of World War II moment. Yeah. But which, by the way, we were talking earlier, the Great War, which is showing on PBS, fantastic, great series. Uh, this uh, stars a guy named Hobart Bosworth. Is that a great movie star name? <laughs> Hobart Bosworth. Hobart Bosworth Bosworth plays a guy who is um, he because he is persecuted for being part German. Once war breaks out. He decides to go and uh, enlist and prove what a great American he is, and he goes to sea. And at some point, somehow, his wife sneaks aboard his ship. I don't know how realistic we can really uh, <laughs> claim that to be. Uh, but then there's, you know, then you get in. There's like a U-boat, and there's all there's all kinds of horrible stuff that happens, and it uh, it turns into a. Um, uh, by the way, speak. We we are talking about Wallace Berry and wrestling. Yeah, Wallace Berry plays the U-boat German <laughs> commander, <laughs> a young Wallace Berry. Uh, anyway, there was a young Wallace Berry. That's funny. Well, he doesn't really look yeah. young. He's kind of he overacts <laughs> he like crazy. He, he too. always he But anyway, this is uh, this is a really a very interesting film. Uh, it, obviously, not a, one of the all-time great silent films, but in context, really a very significant film. Definitely worth checking out, especially on Blu-ray. The restoration is just beyond gorgeous. And uh, there are tons of bonus uh, materials here that are just perfect. The, uh, the film was re-edited for Russian audiences. They include that cut on here. Mm. And there are outtakes, which are, are kind of amazing. And then most importantly, there is a, uh, there's Kevin Brownlow remembering Irvin Willat, which is an interview with uh, Kevin Brownlow uh, all about the career of Irving, Irvin Willat and why he's an important figure and one that I didn't even know about. So Brownlow, really an amazing guy. And, uh, and I owe a huge debt to Brownlow as well because Brownlow helped me sort of try, unsuccessfully, unfortunately, but sort of put me on the right path to track down the two silent films that my father acted in. Wow. So uh, I, I do owe him. He is a wonderful man. And then uh, getting down to the uh, very end here, House. Two stories. This is the original House and the second movie, House, the second story, along with The House Companion, uh, which is a book. So this is all uh, this is all in a nice big boxed set from Arrow Video, who keeps doing really interesting uh, work resurrecting exploitation films and cult films. Uh, this is from RLJ as well. So everybody had a little, little foot in this. But, uh, you know... Looking at the house movies again after the fact, um, I still have mixed feelings. I got to be honest. I I get why they why they were popular, but I don't know. They still hey, feel middle seventies. No, this is like eighties. This is eighties. Yeah, this is mid eighties, and I still feel like we're in a kind of a, a very different. Uh, it doesn't. They're not scary. Let's put it that way. This this dovetails into Nightmare on Elm Street, but even Nightmare on Elm Street isn't scary anymore. Not anymore. No. You watch those movies. There's nothing scary about no. them. I, I dig the practical effects that they were still doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the pre CGI days. You know, yeah. But that's about it. Well, anyway, this is an, this is a for if you like if you like those particular kinds of genre films from yeah, that period. Steve Miner, anyway. Oh, good question. I have no idea. Because he was a guy for a Still minute. around, you I'm know. sure, yeah. Yeah, forever young. I well, know. lots of extras on here. Tons of behind-the-scenes stuff and uh, how these movies were made and the effects and the makeup and yada, yada, yada interviews. I mean, lo- just really, really tons of stuff. So uh, especially the book, you know, The House Companion is just, I mean, if you're a fan of this franchise, this is everything you've ever dreamed of. This is a great box set. But you got to be kind of into that particular yeah. thing from that era. Yeah. And then uh, this is wonderful to, thing to go out on. Criterion has just released a, uh, a an edition of Woman of the Year. 
really a just fabulous film. Classic. Very forward. Very forward. Like quasi-feminist. And of. directed by George, George Stevens, Stevens yeah. who is all over the place right now on Netflix with Five Came Back, yeah. the, uh, the multi-part documentary about, about the, all yeah, the, the directors that went to World War II. Make, yeah. those, make those one. Ring Lardner, right? No, it's... Uh, uh, no, that. Oh, this. Yeah. Yes, yes, correct. Yes, yeah. Ring Lardner uh, wrote this. Yes. Yeah. And it's uh, wonderful. It includes uh, George Stevens' filmmaker's uh, journey. The 1984 documentary is a part of this, so... Definitely want that. That is just uh, uh, that alone is worth the, the, the purchase price. I mean, that's a great documentary. You know, look, a movie about women and, and you're a journalist and the, you're yeah. trying to make you know, all this kind of thing. You know, and she's like this feminist and and uh, and, uh, and you know and just all all this kind of in the context of today's news regarding women yeah. journalists and you know in 2017 Pretty that great. movie which is from like what the middle 40s or something. Yeah, like that? this is from 1942. That's a real war era. That's a yeah. You got it's Rosie the Riveter, right? Is just has just gone to work, and I mean, we've just started the war, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so the the women are holding down the home front, and this is a significant. Uh, this really has a, a legendary place, not just in the Hepburn Tracy yeah. uh, pantheon, but um, yeah, it's it's a terrific movie, a lot of fun, and it's and it dates so well. It's so funny. It's so smart. Uh, really, really great. So George Stevens, Woman of the Year, and we will go out with that one. And with that, uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>